as much as you know you want to grow and drive and build for your kids and all the rest there's no point in doing all those things if you can't enjoy it with your kids and your family you know my parents never ever ever went on overseas holidays or anything like that growing up that was warren myman the ceo of timbermate and warren has backbone G'day everyone, I'm David Boyer. I'm the founder and managing director of SQL CFO, accountants and financial mentors to entrepreneurs just like you. This episode is brought to you by Judo Bank. It's here, finally a bank lending to businesses. In this episode, we're going to hear more from Warren about why Aussie manufacturing matters. We're going to hear why he resigned on the first day of joining his family business after his dad begged him to come and help out how he found the resilience to lead the family business after his father, the founder, had a stroke, and why as an immigrant, Warren believes in local manufacturing to keep wealth in local communities. If you like the show, head to www.backbonepodcast.com.au and sign up for our newsletter so you can get regular updates. But for now, let's get on with the show. Joining us now is Warren Myman, the CEO of an Australian manufacturing success story, Timbermate. Warren, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, David. We should tell listeners, you and I go quite a long way back. We've been arguing over football for a very long time. Yeah, that's that's right. We do have a big argument over my beloved Blues and unfortunately your beloved Dogs, which I still keep hearing about the flag in 2016. So, Well, it makes makes up for the 16 flags I got told about when I was growing up as a kid, mate. Yeah. Look, we, uh, your company's fascinating. Uh, Timbermate is an Aussie success story. Can you tell us a bit about what the business does? Yeah, so our family business, um, we manufacture a range of uh, wood fillers and adhesives. We also do a range of tie-down straps and different assorted products that mainly supply the hardware and paint industries, but... Um, we also diversified from there. We supply, you know, guys like Spotlight in the craft spec space and um, office works in the office environment. Um, but I guess our business started back in 1991. Um, my family had a hardware store before that, um, and they they had people would come into the store asking, um, saying all their wood fillers that they had in their store, which might sound like a pretty boring part of the story, um, but their wood fillers that they were using were all shrinking and cracking. And obviously when you're trying to finish a job, you don't want that imperfection. So my family actually had a formula in the family since the 1920s that they'd never really used. Um, and my dad said, well, why don't we try and make it? So I remember as a child going downstairs and there my parents were with a mix master with a sausage extruder out the side. <laughs> and they were mixing, mixing this wonder wood filler, mixing it up in the, sausage, in, in the mixer, pumping out with a sausage extruder. And then my mum was capping the jars um, and taking them to work the next day. So they were taking them to um, a hardware store over in Mordialic. And um, these people were driving from the northern suburbs to buy wood filler. Now, for those of you that either haven't bought wood filler or have no idea what I'm talking about in that regard, um, a wood filler generally is an accessory purchase. It's not something that you would say, I need to go down to the hardware store to buy my wood it's filler. It's like the Freddo Frog at the checkout at Coles or Woolworths. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So, um, in, unfortunately, ours aren't strawberry filled or, you know, <laughs> don't have the, the, the chalk ripple effect. But, um, yeah, we do have... Um, yeah, so people are coming from the northern suburbs over to Mordialic to buy this wood filler because they heard of what it can do, that it didn't shrink, it didn't crack and all the rest. So... 
when my parents started seeing people driving all this way to get the product, they thought, well, we're on to a winner. So they sold their their hardware store that they had in Mordialic and started Timbermate. So that was 1991. We hear and we sort of celebrate the businesses that start in garages and, and on dining room tables, but usually it's technology businesses with a computer. Yeah. And maybe you see some 3D printing. The mix master and the sausage maker to make wood filler is one of the great origin stories I've heard. Yeah, so no, it's, it's, it is one and I've got this great photo that I've managed to dig up of... Did you, know, you ever help out on the kitchen uh, table? No, no. I remember I remember going downstairs and, you know, and, and seeing it and just thinking... Gee, I hope I hope that I hope that's I hope that's not my dinner tomorrow night. But <laughs> uh, my wife would say now that I come home and I smell like the factory, so it sounds like a, seems like I'm bringing it home into my environment now. But um, just going on from that, my you know, when we, when they started the business, my dad would be on the road doing sales, and my mum was actually our first warehouse. Um, staff member doing pick and pack so you know it's something that we still say laugh at today like that's just the origins of business that you know that unfortunately when you're trying to start a business and you've got three kids you're trying to put through school and you know we were recently emigrated from um, from South Africa and you don't have you know much behind you well you just got to roll up your sleeves and get it done so I guess well we can talk in a bit more detail during this podcast of you know, the growth of the business and some avenues of that, I guess it's amazing to see, I guess it's a testament to my parents' hard work where this all started from. Um, and it's amazing how, you know, how a business that you don't envisage where it's going to go to and the avenues that they can go to. You're pushing 30 staff now. Yep. But the business still manufactures in Australia. Yeah, that's right. So for us, that's a really important part of our business. I mean, um, a lot of our competitors in our space, or pretty much all of our competitors in our space, manufacture offshore. That most of them would manufacture throughout Asia. Um, for us, um, we make fifty-five percent of our products actually made in Melbourne. Um, the other, the balance of our products actually all made in the USA. So that's something that we can touch on a little bit later. Just we do focus on that niche side of the of the of the business of high-quality product that is either made in, as I said, Australia or the USA. But um, manufacturing locally, I think that everyone has, um, I guess, a uh, they, they all have um, an, a right that they have to try and support local businesses because I think that one thing that's lost is a lot of um, corporate dollar is spent going offshore and trying to manufacture offshore. But I think that what people lose by that is there's that whole... I guess you could say blue collar workforce that all of a sudden, well, where are they going to derive their revenue from? You know, where are they going to get their paycheck from? You know, without them being skilled up in other areas, then all of a sudden, those people, if they don't have jobs, then all of a sudden, they can't go to the local hardware store and actually buy my product. So there's a full cyclical effect that a lot of people don't look at in that. And I think that there's a very important role in that. So we're very, very, very focused in growing Australian manufacturing in that yeah. regard. Your your family's an immigrant family. Your parents moved here from South Africa in the 80s. That's right. The late 80s. That's right. Where do you get the values of I need to employ a local community? I think that, well, for us, we were especially, and I guess this could probably resonate with a lot of people who come to Australia. There's very few people that come to Australia just for a bit of fun. I mean, yes, you might have the odd backpacker that comes here and maybe meets someone at a bar and ends up um, staying here. Generally, people are emigrating or leaving their home country. There's a reason for that. Um, in, in our case, I mean, being in South Africa, there was 
high crime, high violence. My parents didn't want us growing up in that environment. So when you have a country that will accept you and obviously give you a foundation to grow a business like we have today, I think there's also a little bit of that that you have to give back to the community as well. So I think that that's, that's something, again, that I guess compared to the corporate dollar versus the private dollar, I think there is that, there's that juggling act of, well, is, yes, everyone wants to be profitable. At the end of the day, that's what everyone's driver is, is to be profitable. But I think there's also an element of giving back to the community a bit as well because I think there's a lot more to, to do that. The f- the, you said that your mum was the first employee doing pick and pack in the warehouse. The business grows quite successfully over many decades now. Does the pressure of the family business take its toll on the broader family? Can't say it takes the pressure. It's more that I think a lot of people don't understand the dynamics of family business. You know, a lot of people who you speak to think, oh, Look at look at look at them. They, they you know they they're building a good business, but they don't see the pressures that fall underneath that. And some of them are pressures when things go bad, and obviously, on the flip side, when when things are good. But at the same time, there's also the other aspects, which is like, for a perfect example, when I used to live at home and I joined the family business, which I can touch on shortly of how my dad wrote me into that which is a pretty funny well, story because you had a c- good career going as a management consultant that's right that's right so all I'll care t- no responsibility <laughs> yeah, in that, that role that's the best now i've got too much responsibility but um when we you know when i used to live at home and work in the business you know you you leave work and if i was the ceo in my position now of a private business yes you've got your stresses and all the rest everyone has them in business but when it's not your business you can go home and you can sort of switch off and say well i'll deal with it tomorrow when it's a family business when you have things it's you know it's always on your mind because at the end of the day the outcome not only affects you it affects your greater family community so um when i used to come home from work and my dad and i who were working together running the business at the time um used to come home we'd be sitting there i've I've seen the guy in the office next to me from eight o'clock till six o'clock we've talked work all day you know, my half an hour of turn-off time was driving home, but now around the dinner table, you know, again, you're just talking about business all the time because it doesn't sleep, it doesn't stop. Did you in, ever have any tough conversations around that dinner table? We did, but funnily enough, um, we, my years of growing up of being a mummy's boy really paid off because when we... <laughs> we sta- did grow up together, <laughs> I hadn't noticed. <laughs> <laughs> when we, when, you know, when we used to have our disagreements and my dad and I are both very strong very driven people um, and also very stubborn in our opinions so when we used to have disagreements my mum was always the tiebreaker and my dad and I would butt heads and sometimes he'd get a headache faster than me and that's when I'd win out but if he didn't get a headache then I'd be all right let's call him the tiebreaker which is my mum (laughs) and my dad would just throw his hands up in there and go there's not even a point because she's just going to side with you anyway so um, so I guess that, that's, the, that's the beauty of that, that all my years of being a mummy's boy really paid off. So, um, but yeah, but I think that a lot of people don't understand that, that when, there's, when things happen in business that go against you, when you lose a major line or when you don't win a pitch that you've put everything into and you've, you know, and you've envisaged what's going to happen if you get that pitch, um, there's a lot more to it because you're not only letting yourself down, you're letting everyone down around you and... I mean, I've always had a positive outlook and always been managed to push through things, but there is still that pressure that's always there. And that's the same, not only for my business, 
if it's the local milk bar or um, the news agent or anything like that at the end of the day any family business faces that that at the end of the day if the business makes money that week well there's money to put food on the table if they have downtimes well then cuts have to be made in, in a family environment whereas a general private ceo what have you will you get paid your wage and if you do well well there might be a bonus you there. get paid either way exactly exactly so there's a lot more to it that a lot of people don't don't see to that but we've spoken about the origin of the business uh about your belief in the value of local manufacturing yep. i don't think many other australians see it well they do but reducing amount of local yep. ceos believe that as well but the business has had tragedy strike on a couple of occasions the name of our show is backbone and, yeah. and yours has definitely been tested your yeah. dad got very ill at one point yeah so um we grew so just to just loop back around when i started in the business to be honest i had no interest in joining the family business i just want to put that on the table now i was you failed as you that, touched on before that, i know that wasn't a quiz. i know i know as you touched on before i was a management consultant i was loving what i was doing i was actually between two jobs and my dad said can you come in for one year just as an external but with family interest at heart and look at the business and tell me what we can do better, worse and try and transition from a small business to a medium business which is a very hard step in family businesses. So I came in on my first day, I gave him a letter of resignation telling him that you've got one year and then I'm out of here. I had no interest in joining the family business. So the one thing I realised during that time... Always go into something with a plan of how to get out of it. Exactly. So I already had the plan. I knew that hopefully I could rescind that if I needed to. But I never envisaged that I would. I thought, no, nah, one year, I've got no interest in wood fillers. You know, but one thing I realised pretty quickly is that whether you're selling a golf ball, whether you're selling memberships to Carlton Football Club, whether you're selling wood filler, the same concept is in every single walk of life. So all sales, I guess, at the end of the day, and all businesses still run to the same dynamics, managing staff, trying to make a profit, working the best way to do things, grow your business, etc. So when I realised that and I realised, well, hold on, anything I'm going to do, this is a family business where actually what I get in, I get out, is what made... So I only had to sit down with my dad and say, listen, you know, give me, you know, let's rescind that letter of resignation because I actually love what I'm doing and I'll stay. So luckily my dad agreed to that. But I guess going back to you, that's why I want to give a bit of background because that in hindsight is the best thing that ever happened for our family that I managed to stay in twofold. One, the best years of my working life were working with my dad. It was absolutely fantastic, you know, that we worked really well together. We had great laughs together. You know, we we had a great time and I learned a hell of a lot from him. But unfortunately, a couple of years ago, um, he had a stroke. So we begged him for years. He was one of those type of people that... It used to drive my wife crazy that 11.30 at night, my phone would ring. I've been thinking, you know, and we'd have this half an hour conversation about something that he's thinking about. He just didn't know how to turn off, unfortunately. And he was running on this treadmill, as I said, at 110%. And we were telling at the time, you're 69, and we're telling him, you're not getting any younger. You've got to start slowing down. If a business after 20 years can't support you slowing down, well, then the business has got bigger issues. And But he loved what he was doing. He was passionate about it. It wasn't anything to do with... you know that he had to do it he wanted to do it and that's a hard thing in family business is separating yourself and I guess he had a he had a stroke and overnight you know he was gone from the business in the sense that for you know now luckily he's back he's back a couple of days a week just helping out in the business which has been great to have him back in the business but you know if that wouldn't have happened and I wasn't in the business 
the question the family we've discussed it at length is what would have happened because all of a sudden you don't have you know in fact you don't have that succession plan you don't have someone in the business that can step in with a family interest at heart because at the end of the day an external what, what does party, family interest at heart mean you've said it a few times i think that the family interest at heart is if if I look at the way I would manage this business versus if I was managing someone else's business, I think that you do look at it from a different lens. I think that you look at the way you manage your costs, the way you look after your staff, the way you even every business decision, you think a lot more deeply into it because there's a lot bigger impact into it. It's not like if I decide to bring in a product tomorrow that I'm looking at, if it's a private business and it doesn't work, well, you say, well, big deal, it didn't work. Whereas in this way here, if it doesn't work, well, it affects, you know, what the family can do, what you can do, what what have I got to put food on the table for my kids? What how much what how much money do I have coming back that I can then send my kids to the school that I want to send them to, or go on that family holiday, or all these things that people might see who are just on a general wage that would see as as a given right, because at the end of the day, if I was earning X amount and, and didn't make a difference, well, it's coming in my bank account, I can do that. Whereas at the end of the day, if I don't perform, well, I can't justify, I can't justify that. So there's a lot of that at heart. Um, so I think that that's really important in the whole thing. Um, it's great to hear your dad's back in the business. I yeah. Didn't know that. Yeah. So I think it's, yeah, it's, it's great. It's important for, you know, for his, for his own mindset and all the rest. And, and, you know, people have worked with him for years and, you know, he was seen as a key pillar in the industry as well. So I think it's great for him to be back involved and all the rest. And as, as I said before, my best working years were the years that we did. We travelled a lot together. We worked hard together, but we had a great time together. So I think that there's that element of, yeah, that, that, that part of that, that, that element of the, of the tragedy side, I think is, you know, the sense that, you know, one, I learnt a lot out of it. Um, my wife might disagree and say that maybe I haven't learned enough out of it, seeing I am a bit of a workaholic. But um, at the same time, it's important that you do know that there is, um, you know, you have to have that work-life balance. And as much as, you know, you want to grow and drive and build for your kids and all the rest, there's no point in doing all those things if you can't enjoy it with your kids and your family. You know, my parents never, ever, ever went on overseas holidays or anything like that growing up the only leave they ever took was one week at christmas up until probably four probably for the first 20 years of the business they took a couple a week or two at christmas and that was it you know and that would just be at home because they want to be close to the business in case they had to go in you know they didn't spend the time and you know at the end of the day they've got, yes they've grown this family success story as you mentioned at the start but you know they didn't get to enjoy it like they probably should have and i think that me now as the second generation one, I want to obviously grow that legacy. Um, but on top of that, I've also seen now that you need to have that work-life balance to a degree um, and, and do that. So I've made sure since my dad had his stroke um, and a year prior to that, unfortunately, my sister passed away, I learned pretty quickly that there's more to more to life than work and, you know, and, and all the things that are associated with that. So, you know, once a year I make sure we go away as a family, somewhere we can we can have quality family time, and I think that that's an important thing for people to understand. The um, the 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 personal toll that must have had taken would be huge on the staff as well. Yeah, I'm 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 really lucky. Like on in 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 my instance, I mean, when when it happened, my dad and I had split the role 
of running the business at that stage 50-50. Obviously, overnight, I was working 18, 19-hour days just to get us by until I could work out. Because at the end of the day, you know, when you're delegating, you don't know what jobs, you know, if you've got someone who's been doing all these jobs, you don't know what to give to who. So I thought, you know what, work my butt off for the next six, nine months, work out what I want to do going forward and work out which jobs I'm happy to delegate out. And I'm really lucky that as a business, most of our staff have been with us for a long, long, long time. So we've got, you know, our staff are generally have been with us for 20 years, 19 years, 18 years. You know, we've got very few new staff. Most of them are old staff that have been with us forever. So how do you keep staff that long? Um, we just try and treat them like a family. As I said, it's a family business, but we try to treat them like a family. So it's very important in that regard there that, you know, we, we, we've never been, you know, doing this podcast now, I'm sitting in jeans and a, and, and a, and a jumper. You know, I've never been the type that goes out the back and tries to be a me versus, you know, them um, boss. And I think that that was something I learned during my management consulting days um, because I found that factories where I went into when the CEOs and senior management would go at the back in their suits or even shirts or whatever else, um, would go at the back and you've got a factory worker that's there in their high-vis, you know, all of a sudden when you're talking to them, it's, well, I'm here, you're there. And that's not the way it should be. At the end of the day, everything needs to operate. Yes, that you've got management, but if your factory staff aren't doing, you know, either the manufacturing or the pick pack or anything like that, each cog is equally important. So that's something that I've, we've always done we've we've always made sure that we you know very relaxed culture we walk out the back we you know if, if i've had people walking in our factory with me going like laughing that they can't believe the way you know that the banter that goes on between me and my staff and that's the way we try and do it so we've made sure that we've always tried to have that relaxed culture and you know my staff know when things when you have to be serious and things need to get done they knuckle down they get it done but at the same time you need that balance in a fact, you know, in a in an environment, but again, going back to the tough times when you you know, like this instance I said with my with my father, or even if we've lost lines of business or anything like that, we've got great supportive staff, and I mean, I couldn't do it without them. They've done an incredible job, um, and I make sh- and I make sure that they obviously are aware that of of how important they are to us. That they f- we feel that they are part of our family business. You um, shared with me earlier that, that you had, and this is the second, I guess, tragedy that happened. You lost a major supply, a, a major line of yes. revenue at one point. Yeah, so we do, as I mentioned earlier, we manufacture a lot of our business. Um, a lot of our lines in our business are manufactured here in Melbourne. Um, the rest of our products we actually make in the USA. So we try to keep that quality piece um, with everything that we do. Um, we don't want to have the instance of manufacturing in China where yes, you can chase the dollar and you've got a commodity item that anyone can do. We want to get niche products that are hard to find. And obviously, I don't want the, to open a 20-foot or a 40-foot container and close my eyes and hope like hell that it all looks all right. Out of America, I know what I'm going to get. So we've always dealt with American business. And I guess we've now got to a point where a lot of American businesses who are looking for distribution in Australia um, you know, we'll speak to us and we'll try and, you know, if they're not the right fit, we'll put them onto other people. But at the same time, if they are the right fit, they see us as, I guess, a, a guru in how to launch American brands in Australia. Now, one thing we learned back in about 2010 was generally American brands don't aren't too crash hot on distribution agreements. Now, 
we've learned the lesson and we've made sure that you now we've tied everyone up because we're as a business uh you know good for our word you know we we believe in a handshake and you know we won't once we agree on a price with someone i don't believe in trying to screw them down again once i've done that the same way i believe that if your word your word's your word and traditionally that's been the way it's been and we've had great support from all of our american businesses that have supported us growing the business um, but there's one business in particular who um, we were distributing paintbrushes in Australia and we'd grown it to such a level that they were actually a publicly listed business in the USA, but they couldn't sign off their budgets until we gave our forecast. So that's the level of business that we'd grown up, that we'd built up with them. Um, and again, it was just on a handshake. It was a family business again, but that sold out to a publicly listed company, but things had kept going. And then when Masters, which I guess was short-lived here in Australia, um, came to town, um, they did a parallel import deal with Masters. So rather than seeing the big picture and trying to say, well, how can we make it work through you that you can then keep the market going, they parallel imported it. And overnight, we lost a massive chunk of our business that, you know, that underpinned a lot of things that we were doing in our business that supported a lot of our local manufacturing and all the rest um, that literally overnight was was out the door so it's not like we had time to transition that away overnight that went dropped straight off the off the bottom line um and you just got to deal with these things you, you clearly have resilience yep. you clearly have backbone yeah how do you get through these periods i think that and it's something that i guess again my dad's probably instilled in me and i've got it myself as well is i guess that drive determination but not only that it's that positive mindset that you know, whatever comes your way, you just got to deal with it. You know, the same thing with, you know, unfortunately my sister passed away, you know, life throws curveballs at you and everyone is going to have them at some stage, whether it's health, whether it's in business, whether it's whatever, you know, in relationships, everyone's going to have curveballs thrown at them. And it's just a matter of keeping positive and rather than looking at the negative, trying to focus on the positive. So in this instance, you know, overnight, we'll, most most businesses would just fall into a heap. You know, the thing that underpins your profitability is gone overnight. We sat down and, you know, there's nothing you can do. You can't turn back the hands of time. You can't change it. So that's the most that's the first thing that you need to understand is there's no point in me sitting there and crying because I'm just gonna spin my wheels on the spot. So we rather just knuckle down and said, Okay, well this is the money that we used to invest every year in these paintbrushes. What can we do with this money? And how can we turn it around? So our mindset there was, well, rather than putting that into another import line, which the same thing could potentially happen to again, we rather, my, my dad, who never had a chemistry background, but always used to screw around at the back and he formulated a lot of our products in our range just by mixing chemical A with chemical B and seeing what happened and reading these books that he found at these secondhand bookshops <laughs> and God knows where. So um, he formulated a product that now is probably our second biggest part of our business and we own it so it's not like it can ever happen again that someone takes that away from us so i mean it took us a couple of years to um put the strategy in place but when it happened it was a matter of just stepping you know standing still putting a plan and putting it in place and then executing it and i mean look i could turn around today and say well that plan didn't work but it did and we're grateful for that but at the same time you know, you, you're not going to, you know, I've be always big in, you know, taking opportunities. And, you know, there's a lot of people who I guess are apprehensive and 
don't want to risk the downside, but my view is to always look at the upside. So um, I think that that's, you know, looking looking from a glass half full rather than half empty point of view, I think is a really important mindset, especially if you're trying to grow a business um, rather than getting bogged down in, in all the negatives and what have you that are out there. Warren, thanks for joining us on Backbone. Do you have any final messages to our listeners? No, there's, I, I can't say I've got any real final messages other than, I mean, from my point of view, I think it's important that everyone keeps on supporting Australian businesses, um, whether that be businesses like my own who are in that manufacturing space, but even if it's your local milk bar um, or news agent or anything, because at the end of the day, the money that that you end up spending there is what comes back into our economy. So, there's like, I mean, you hear all the time these multinationals that are taking the profits offshore, and I think that that's important. I think that you know, we need to understand that the, the money needs to stay in the Australian economy. I mean, you hear about all the doom and gloom at the moment with the economy and all that. Well, the only way that's going to turn around is by people reinvesting that money and putting it back into the Australian economy. So I think, you know, my family is really grateful for the opportunity that Australia's presented to us. And I think that, you know, we want to try and repay that. So, but thanks for having me. And yeah, I appreciate that. Kind of dogs. Go Blues. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Backbone. What an unbelievable story from Warren. Head to www.backbonepodcast.com.au to hear more stories from people like Janine Ellis, Joseph Healy, Sarah Pantaleo and Justin Dry. Have a great week, everyone.